welcome to the 461st episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. There's going to be very little nutrition today, but there will be some. But mostly, this is about the Long Haul 100 race. So it's a long-winded recap. I hope you enjoy it, um, because I think... I certainly gained a lot of life lessons from that race, and I hope that you will have some takeaways as well. So here we go. The race director is Andy Matthews, or Andy Croom Matthews, and we met him on two different occasions when we went up to Colt Creek State Park to run practice runs and talked about how there was just this tiny little wet section, um, but it would be much drier um, come race day in January. And he even did a podcast about a week before the race and was talking about how dry and flat and fast the course was going to be and that you didn't even need to have uh, trail shoes probably. Well, Florida is not always dry in January. And as anybody that lives in Florida knows, I guess anybody that lives any place in January knows there's been a lot of weather come through um, the east these last weeks, uh, not to mention a lot of rain um, up near Colt Creek State Park. So we had been watching the weather, and at first we were worried about rain on race day, and then we were worried about cold on race day. So we did some extra preparation and, you know, had lots of rain gear, bought a space heater that would run on propane. So we had all the stuff we thought. The race director did promise to have a few vegan options on the course, which was very nice, but we decided to cover it on our own. Um, so we had a little jet burner to make vegan ramen noodles and vegan mashed potatoes with mushroom broth, um, as well as the general fare of peanut butter and jelly sandwich and cookies and gels and bars and things like that. Everyone under the Jamila J. Delaney Our Heart Beats Plant Strong tent was a rookie when it comes to 100-mile racing. I had never run 100 miles. Michael has never run 100 miles. Lou and Linda Albert have never crewed 100 miles. Timory Hagenberger has never paced in a 100-mile race. So there you have it. So we packed my Ford Expedition with everything under the sun. We did not pack lightly. I was pretty proud of myself because we got totes, and I labeled the totes with, for the most part, what's in them. The problem is I was the only one that loaded the totes, so nobody else really knew where to look, just that there were a lot of totes that you had to try to figure out where things were. The night before the race, we drove up to Zephyr Hills and stayed at the Roadside Inn, which I would recommend highly to anyone going through Zephyr Hills. We ate a Vietnamese restaurant and had some fresh spring rolls and some vegan pho, delicious. Went back to the hotel, got settled in, and then listened to it rain. Uh, it rained hard and the wind blew overnight, and luckily it did stop in the morning for a 6 a.m. start. And at the race pre-meeting, Andy says, you're gonna be walking, you're gonna be running through about ankle deep water in places. Somehow, I just couldn't imagine it. I just didn't think that it would be that bad. But anyway, we got started, and um, the gun went off, and we started down the road, and within about a half mile, we hit the first mud uh, into a parking lot. So there was multiple parking lots. This is a great park with parking lots, camping, 
horseback riding. You could ride. You have to bring bring your own horse, um, and and actually real bathrooms. So that kind of made it nice in, in various locations. But anyway, we ran through this very muddy parking lot into the woods, and it was dark. It was at six a.m. And true to fashion, when I was going through the little rooted section through the woods, I tripped and did a face plant probably within a mile and a half of the start. No worries, not hurt, getting up, trying not to do that again, kept running. And so I was very happy when the sun came up and the course is six loops of 16.78 miles or so. Um, the same loop six times. And I was, you know, the goal was just to settle into a good pace, have a good heart rate, and uh, see what I could do for the first lap. Uh, I wanted to maintain an easy heart rate. The, the goal of ultra running is if you think it's easy, make it a little easier. So I was going to try to do four minutes of running and two minutes of walking. Because of the dark and because of some of the twists and turns, you know, I decided I was going to run until light. Uh, and let the crowd thin out a little bit. There were about 280 runners that started, started, I think 283 runners. So it was a little bit crowded on the trails at first. So I was like, I'll go ahead and run until the light comes up and we spread out, and then I'll go into my four to two. But I do want to keep my heart rate down. And I thought I did a pretty good job of that. Um, and then it turned into I would run maybe four minutes and walk about a minute, minute and a half. My heart rate would come down pretty easy. So, again, I, I felt like two minutes was too long to be walking. I got bored. Um, there are multiple aid stations out on the course. The first one was about 3.7 miles, and then you would run another out-and-back type loop and come back and hit that aid station at about eight, eight and a half miles. And then you would do another kind of lollipop um, uh, type loop and finish um, at an aid station about 14 miles out and then you would run into the finish line and, and rinse and repeat. So hit the first aid station feeling good, used the bathroom, went on, um, you know a little bit of mud out where it was open but not horrible. You know you pick and choose your spots and um, then ran the second part of the loop halfway done with the first loop and started on the back half and at about three or so miles into that, um, all of a sudden the mud hit. And I guess the, to describe it, and there's some videos online that you can actually see it, but um, if you think about the Kentucky Derby on days that it really rained after the horses ran and what the track looked like, that's pretty much it. Um, you know, the other thing I would think about was a feedlot after a stampede or, you know, cows have been through there. That, that's about it. So you kind of try to pick where you thought the water wasn't as deep to try to keep it from going over your shoes. Um, but that wasn't always good because you'd step where you think it wasn't deep and your foot would sink in. You'd try to step where you thought the mud was hard, but that wasn't always easy to tell too. So uh, it became a squish and slide, slip and slide, water in your shoe, running feet for about... Um, a mile and a half before there was a little reprieve for, you know, I don't know, half mile, maybe, maybe not quite that much. And then you had another section before you got to that 14 miles of the same muddy condition. To make it worse, when you made the turn to go down into that aid station, it was the worst yet. I mean, there was a Jeep that had tried to take stuff down and, you know, got up halfway up the wheels 
uh, in mud. So there were deep, deep jeep ruts, you know, slip slide mud. It became more narrow. People threw it. Again, 283 people out and back, out and back, out and back. You can just imagine how nasty and gnarly it was. Got to that aid station, turned around, and then you go back through all of that mud before you turned off and went to the finish line uh, to complete the 16.8-mile uh, loop, then rinse and repeat. So I was traumatized. I was traumatized because of my feet. I, I was uh, The week before, I had read a book about how to fix your feet. I'll make a link. It's actually an excellent book, um, How to Take Care of Your Feet in Ultra-Long Endurance Events. And I saw pictures in that book of people's feet feeling, peeling off on the bottoms when they were wet all day long. And I thought, I'm in deep, deep trouble. I had put um, uh, a lubricant on my feet called Salty Britches, uh, and then my toe socks, and then my shoes. I actually put K-tape on the first and second toes, both feet, to try to save my toenails. Um, um, but again, the shoes, you know, again, heavy, heavy shoes, water all the way down over the top. So I got back to the aid station and Sandy Geisel from the podcast last week and her husband were there. They were in a tent next to us, crewing some other girls. And I was like, you know, should I change my shoes now? Should I change my socks now or wait? She's like, how do you feel? And I was like, I don't think I feel that bad and I'm going to get into trouble again. So I decided not to change my shoes or socks and I went back out and did another loop. When I went back out to do the other, the other loop, you know, you always have hopes that, you know, if 283 people run through this stuff enough, are they going to get rid of some of the water as the day goes on because it wasn't raining? Will it dry out a little bit? You know, you, you always have hope. I, I think that's a great thing, that, that things might get just a little bit better. As I was running the second loop, um, and to go back a little bit, I packed my vest with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, a bar, three gels, um, I had two um, 15 ounce flasks in my vest that had um, uh, electrolyte solution with calories. So I had about 300 calories of liquid with me. And I went through that in the first loop and I could have used a little bit more. I think I took a peanut butter and jelly sandwich off the aid station table as well as filled, filled, filled my bottles up with water. So the second loop, I took a little bit more with me. I think I took two sandwiches instead of one. Um, and went out in the loop. And the only thing I could think about during the second loop was, I, you know, I got to do this loop and another loop before I can pick up my pacers. Um, so, but I was managing to keep up my pace. You know, I was steady. I was right on where I wanted. I was, a, I was actually ahead of pace the first loop. I was a little less than four hours for the first loop. I was a little over four hours for the second loop. And uh, the third loop, I was a little bit uh, closer to four and a half hours. So not, not bad at all. Um, after the second loop, I stopped and changed my socks. I decided not to change my shoes. I had extra shoes. Actually, I had another extra pair, two, other, two extra pair of shoes and a third pair of shoes that were two left feet. So that wasn't going to be helpful. But I decided that um, I had the best shoes on. It was going to be, you know, a quarter of a mile till they all looked the same. So I just elected to change my socks every time from then on. So I would come in. Um, my crew was excellent of, you know, not screaming and running the other direction because of my muddy, terribly looking feet. Uh, everybody chipped in, got my socks off. Lou and Linda, you know, we got tape. We got the 
I actually used uh, Clorox wipes to wipe down my feet to kind of dry them off. We had a propane heater to try to dry my feet a little bit before putting the lube on and putting new socks on and shoes and going back. Uh, Linda had everything organized under the tent. Uh, it was amazing. You know, gels lined up by flavor, bars, you know, made sandwiches. She had uh, wraps, avocado, and um, we made tofu egg salad, had that ready for me, had a, a, egg, a, a um, uh, avocado wrap ready for me. And the first lap, I did do a tofu uh, avocado wrap. And it actually tasted good, and it went down good. But for some reason, coming back in, um, it, it, things started not to... I thought I would really want more savory things, but it, savory things didn't really um, seem to do the trick for me. Also, we also had po- boiled potatoes. So I had taken boiled potatoes... And, and they didn't go down that great. I thought they would be more exciting than they, than they were. Um, by the third loop, uh, they had the jet burner um, cooked up, so they had mashed potatoes. Um, they had uh, the ramen noodles, so I had a variety of those to choose from. So while I was getting my feet worked on, I'd eat some noodles and have some mashed, pota- or have some mashed potatoes. Um, Lou was, you know, changing bottles out, getting everything organized, finding equipment. Lou was the best one as far as, you know, he was just Johnny on the spot, getting everything I needed out and lining it up. Linda was applying, and Sandy Geisel was invaluable at, uh, you know, giving us pointers on what we should do, make sure my feet were really clean and dry and the wipes and, uh, you know, get the lube on and go. And so so mainly the difference... And the length of time between the first, second, and third loops was mainly just foot care for the most part. So I, I didn't sit down other than to, you know, do my foot care and then up, up and out. So when I left the, for the third loop, um, I took a headlamp with me because I'm going to be finishing in the dark and I pick up Michael at that point. And the temperature during the day... Um, I don't know if it ever hit 60. Certainly where our tent was around the lake, uh, my poor crew got wind all day long blowing in there. So it was a lot colder where they were than when I would get back into the woods and be somewhat protected. But it wasn't warm um, at any point. Um, The first three loops, I had shorts on and a long sleeve. Um, I believe, no, it was the second loop. It was the second loop is where I did the face plan in the mud. So I literally slid into second base in the deep mud on the backside. Uh, Mud up my arm, mud on my face you know, everywhere. So I actually had to kind of pull off the course a little bit, look for a puddle that was more clean water and kind of take a little puddle bath before I could go on because I was in pretty bad shape. But I kept that Jamie Delaney plant-based long sleeve on until the uh, start of the fourth loop. And um, at that point, I picked up Michael. I changed. I put on a short sleeve base layer, a pretty heavy long sleeve and my vests again, and I put on tights, and I also put on my compression sleeves, and this will come back to the very end of the podcast. I put on compression sleeves on my lower legs, and if you're not familiar with it, it's just from your ankles up to your knees to kind of protect your legs a little bit, maybe, you know, protect your calves a little bit. That was the thought. Um, So I had, and then on the third lap, one, two, I guess it was the beginning of the fourth lap, I also had long socks on. So the fourth lap, I really had a lot of compression on my lower legs. Um, and, and we took off. Well, when Michael and I took off on the fourth lap, um, I had been sitting there probably long enough that 
my temperature drops. So when we started out and we got, walk, you know, running up the path around the lake, it was cold, it was windy, and I started to get cold. I couldn't get started, and the walls came tumbling down. I just started to feel miserable. Um, when we got into the woods, it, you know, it's dark now, and I am dreading going into that muddy section again. And I just couldn't imagine having to run two and a half miles through that muddy section, slipping and sliding, losing time. And, you know, now it wasn't, now I wasn't going to finish early in the morning. It would be, you know, much later if I kept up the pace. And I didn't know how I was going to keep up the pace through the night because I knew I was going to, knew I was going to start slowing down in the dark just because of visibility. So I started going down the really bad path of, you know, I don't know why I'm out here. Uh, I shouldn't be putting you, Michael, through this, through this terrible mud. I certainly shouldn't be putting poor Tim Marie. She drove here an hour um, to pace me, and I'm going to put her through running through this mud. Linda and Lou have been outside all day long, freezing to death, trying to take care of me. You know, they shouldn't have to stay out here all night long for me just to fail. Um, you know, I was just, just really in a, in a, in a bad way. And, um, Michael didn't say anything. And, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, cause if he would have said, yeah, let's just quit. I, I probably would have sat down right there. Um, he didn't say anything and we kept, you know, kind of, and, and I wasn't really running that point. I was kind of, kind of just walking, trying to get something started. Every time I try to run, it just, it just felt awful. I was having a little pain. I was having some pain in my lower right leg, um, you know, around my, you know, tibia area. I was kind of cramping. And so that was kind of making it uncomfortable. So I, I was kind of walking, you know, power walking. And I was angry because I was power walking and it was going slower and it was cold. And the first aid station was going to be 3.7 miles. And it's like, you know, I just, I can't even, I can't imagine even, you know, get to there, but I just don't know what we'll do. So that's when he told me the story. He told me the story about Harold. And Harold was a man uh, that he knew at a swimming pool. Uh, and we won't mention any more names or locations just so we don't, uh, in case Harold would happen to be listening to this. But if he did, he saved my race. But um, Harold had a toupee. He was ex-military. And he used to get mad at Michael for splashing him when Michael was swimming laps. And he was doing what he was doing in the lap next to him. But they got to talking because Michael doesn't get angry with anybody. And he told Michael that he was a sprinter in high school. And he would go into a race and he would look at everybody and they would say, and he would think, oh, man, they look so much faster than I do. You know, I don't even belong here. Why am I even here? And then he would think, why? Well, let's just wait and see. And let's just wait and see. And it would turn out that he often did much better than he thought he would. So Michael said, let's just wait and see. Very profound. So I wanted to just let wait and see until we got to mile 3.7, but he convinced me that the wait and see should be till we got uh, back around to mile 8.5 to the wait and see. And at that time, you know, it's like, all right. And grudgingly, I started to kind of shuffle, shuffle, you know, walk, little shuffle run, shuffle run, shuffle walk. And I started to warm up, and that really helped. Uh, that helped a lot when, um, you know, the nutrition kicked in, and I got a little bit warm, and it's like, all right, you know, buck up. Um, you know, I went from all the negative things to, you know, you know this was going to hurt. You know, never, never did I ever doubt that this 
I wasn't going to have a low spot. I knew I was going to have a low point in the race. I didn't think I would go that low. I thought I would bounce right back out of it with my positive uh, frame of mind and stubbornness. But I did. And, um, you know, so I, I, I started to say, you know, well, okay, we'll, you know, work through this. It's supposed to hurt, you know, don't, don't try to avoid it. Let's just keep going. Nothing's broken. Nothing is injured. There's really no reason to stop other than your, you know, um, weariness. And, you know, it's, you're just really, you're really trashing yourself with all this talk. So I kind of got a hold of myself and we kept going on. And uh, next thing you know, we hit the muddy section. And um, at that point, Michael said, is this it? Is this it? I said, yeah, here it is. And there was a guy that met us coming the other direction and he said, welcome to hell. And uh, so Michael had the pleasure of slip sliding, you know, and trying to go through the mud and you kind of scream when the cold water went in your shoe because about 45 degrees at that point. And then we got to the point right before the aid station turnaround. And of course, it was much worse. It was more wet, colder and everything. And, you know, Michael said, we got to go back through that. And it's like, yes, we have to retrace our steps all the way through that mud. But on the way back, we were, you know, it was kind of like, okay, we're going to get through this. This is just what we're going to do. And we came upon this, this girl we were beside. And I said, well, at least, you know, it's like it makes for a good story running through this mud. And in reality, it'll make through a better story if I actually finish this race rather than, you know, it was awful and I quit. And uh, so at that point, there was, you know, there was not going to be a quit on my account uh, unless something happened. I was going to keep going. And so we finished the loop, and Timmery Hagenberger was there waiting for me. And if you don't know Timmery, you should check out her book, The Foodie Bar Way. Timmery is the nutritionprofessor.com on, on her website, and she's on Instagram. Um, she was a nutrition professor in California and moved to Kissimmee, Florida, uh, to be uh, a registered dietitian and, and worked in the, um, the state healthcare system, as well as on her own. So check out her website. Um, I called Timory up and said, hey, what are you doing next Saturday? Would you consider pacing me? And she said, yes. And I said, would you consider pacing me through the night? And she said, I'll be there. And before I could even look, she had went on the website and downloaded the pacer waiver and signed up. So, I mean, she was committed from the get-go. And so she came in, she drove down from Kissimmee, and she was waiting and um, it's like, it's cold, Timory, you need more clothes. So we put more clothes on her, we put a pack on her, um, she sounds like a mule, but she wasn't really a mule. Um, and we uh, put lights on her. So she had a headlamp. I had a headlamp. And we had these, these um, brackets that had, you know, rows of LED lights that, you know, people described us as truckers coming at them. The lights were so bright. So she had one and I had one. They're called Kugala lights. They're beautiful and they have battery packs. So I had been wearing mine, uh, headlamp and, and Kugala when I ran with Michael. Now Timberry put hers on, and um, we headed, headed out. And we were dressed warmer. I had put another layer on, so that was, that was good. And we started to run walk, and, and we hadn't had much time to talk in the months before. Um, so, we, so we just chatted it up, and she asked me if I'd ever done a Tough Mudder, and I said no because I didn't really like mud. And... Um, you know, she'd asked me if I'd done all these other things that I really hadn't done, uh, you know, 
<laughs> but it was funny. She, she knew when to ask the right questions when. She was positive. Uh, she kept a good pace. She's very, very mindful, very calm. And we, we had a gr great time. And I was like, you know, I was telling her, it's like, there's a muddy section and it's going to come up. Because I'm, I'm traumatized by now waiting for this muddy section, you know. And uh, so we were running along. And wouldn't you know it, my Kagala light went out. So now we have my headlight, her Kagala, and a headlight. So we're now having to run through the muddy section kind of close together. So we're kind of running tandem through the mud because, we, you know, I'm, I'm trying to use her light to, to see mine, pick my way. Um, so we, we, kept, we kept going and moving, but we were moving much slower because we were, again, using, you know, one person's light for two people for the most part. So when we got to the turnaround at mile 14, she was very astute and decided that she would turn off her Kugala so we could save a little, little battery life while we were at the aid station. But when she went to turn it back on, it didn't turn back on. Now, it's a rookie mistake in that um, we didn't know how to fix it because it turns out the Kugala just went into a battery saver mode and it wasn't really dead, but we didn't know how to turn it back on. You'd have to take the battery pack out and start it up again. So we didn't know that. So now we were down to two headlamps and mine was fading drastically. So I had, you know, the, um, the equivalent of a, you know, gas station flashlight strapped to my head and Tim Marie had a pretty good lamp on her head and we didn't have any Kigalas anymore. So now we really had to run close together and our plan was just to run straight up the middle of the mud and not try to sidestep anything. So water, no water, mud, no mud. We were just going to run straight through and, you know, just make it back. And about that time of the morning, it was about 5 a.m. or so. And, you know, both of us are morning runners and we were kind of laughing because one of the things that we both like is to see the sun come up when we're running. And, you know, it's like, and we both live in Florida, so it's not like the sun comes up that different, um, you know, two hours away. But usually see the sunrise about 6.45. Now, it's cloudy and rainy, you know. Uh, it wasn't rainy, but it was just cloudy and a little bit misty. So eventually the light did come up. There was never a sun, but the, the light did come up at about 6.45. And, and there was never two people that were happier to see the light of day after going through that mud field, uh, you know, in tandem together, sliding away. At one point when we were running along, well, Tim Marie would, would ask me, she said, so we have to go back through this again? She said the same thing as Michael. I was like, yeah, we have to go back through this again. But we were running along, and all of a sudden I felt something come loose from the bottom of my right foot, like under my toe and the ball of my foot. And it's like, oh, no, Tim Marie. I said, I think the, the skin from the bottom of my foot just fell off. <laughs> She's like, oh, no, you know, and of course, you know, what you're going to do? We're in the dark with one headlamp. There's nothing to do but to keep running. I said, well, the weird thing is it doesn't really hurt. So maybe it's just mud, you know, maybe it's just mud. And we kept going. And it turns out when I got back to the aid station, you know, I was so afraid to take my shoes off that my, you know, my foot would be in my shoe instead of, you know, the skin, would, skin of my foot would be in my shoe and not attached to my foot anymore. But it, it was fine. And I did post some pictures at Facebook. My, my toes were pretty shrivelly. You can imagine, you know, being in the water all day, you know, all day long, all night long. But they, they were intact. And Sandy was very confident. She was there and she was inspecting the situation. She's like, no, no, they look good. You're all right. You're all right. You know, it's going to be okay. 
uh, get them lubed up and, and let's you know go out for the go out for the last loop. At that point, Linda came over to me and she knelt down beside me and she looked me in the eye and she says, "I just want you to know something." She said, "If you want to quit, you can." She said, "Because forty percent of the people I just heard at the you know at the finish line, they said forty percent of the people have already quit, and it's miserable out here. You know, you don't have to do it. We're, we'll still be proud of you. You don't have to do this." And it's like, "Oh, well, we're going to do it now." You know, it's like we've come this far. I've drugged Michael through the mud. I've drugged Tim Marie through the mud. We're 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 bringing this home. The new problem was, could I get it home in the thirty-two hours that was needed?" Because originally, when I was sitting in my warm office, I had grand expectations of doing 26, 27 hours if I could just maintain that, you know, 14, 15 minute pace and not stop too much. But with all the stops and the shoe changes and the mud, you know, I I was starting to really, in the course of the lows, I was starting to, you know, really slow down. So I look at Michael, Mr. Math, and it's like, okay, do the math. Can we make it if we keep the same pace up? Because we had done, I did the first loop under four hours, the second loop just over four hours, the third loop about four and a half hours, the fifth loop with Michael over just over five hours, the sixth loop with Tim Marie was well over five and a half hours, and now we had 13 minutes banked to make the 32-hour cutoff time, which would have been two o'clock in the afternoon. I couldn't even think about the fact that I was going to run till 2 o'clock in the afternoon after starting 6 a.m. the day before. I just, that was just, un, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around that. All I could wrap around is we have 16 point more, 16.8 miles to go. How fast do we have to do it to get under 32 hours? And he said, we can do it. We just have to maintain this pace. We can't slow down. And it's like, all right. So I did a quick shoe change, or I'm sorry, I did a quick sock change, uh, grabbed a couple noodles to go, and we started out. And, uh, you know, we tried, we were, you know, I was doing the shuffle, shuffle, walk, shuffle, shuffle, walk, trying to, trying to move, shuffle, shuffle, walk. Both my shins just really were aching um, just from the, you know, slip sliding in the mud and, and pounding and things. And so it's shuffle, shuffle, run into the first aid station. You know, we banked uh, five or ten minutes into the second aid station, you know, we passed a couple people and, you know, banked a little bit more time. Um, and then we had to go through the mud, you know, and it's like, it, it, even though it was the last time because you had to go down and you had to come back, it still was like, oh, we got to go through the mud. But what we learned after all those loops was if you just kind of aim for the water, it wasn't usually as deep as you thought and actually was better footing. So aiming right for the the water was better than trying to not hit the water and hit the mud where you thought was a little bit drier. So we just, you know, kind of plowed right through instead of trying to pick a path or go around and we actually lost less time. So we made up time there and, um, you know, and then, you know, I, I kept asking Michael, what time is it? You know, are we on time? How much time have we banked? Um, I asked him a lot of time questions. Uh, at one point, he tried to ask me questions, so thinking that he would spur me. I don't know why he thought if he asked me a bunch of silly questions that I would run faster other than that he would run faster and I would try to catch him and kill him. But it's like, I can't answer. I, I can't talk to you. You can, you can talk all you want, you can, but I can't answer any questions. I just need for you to tell me 
how much time I have, how much time we're banking, and, you know, where we are. It's like, all right, all right, all right. And uh, so he kept giving me feedback, and, you know, we kept banking a little bit more time, and we, you know, finally got to that last aid station turnaround. It's like, we've got time. We're, there's, you know, we, we, can, we have all the time in the world to make, make it through this mud and back to the, uh, the finish line. And as we were starting, you know, we got out of the mud and we're starting the grassy trips that traips across the, you know, the field to get to where we would go around the lake to come to the finish line, started raining, started misting. So the wind was blowing, it was misting, um, but, you know, we, we kept going and, um, you know, crossed, crossed around the creek and we saw Andy Crew Matthews standing there waiting for me. And... Um, I said, give me a big old hug, Andy. And he says, I knew you would make it. And it's like, geez, you know, you're, I, you're the only one that thought I was, ma- I, I didn't think I was going to make it. But um, so I finished uh, 31 hours and five minutes. Um, not the time I thought I was going to do, but I am so happy to have finished. Um, you know, to, I, can't, I can't believe that I was out there that long. Um, it probably rivals one of my call nights as a resident, you know, going in. I guess I, I did do some 48-hour shifts, but uh, 31 is a pretty long shift um, out in the woods. It was the first night I ever spent the entire night outside, so that was the first. Um, it was the longest I've ever run through the mud. Um, I, it was definitely the most Oreo cookies that I've ever eaten. Um, I was taking about, when I left that out, I'd been taking about four to six in a baggie with me every loop. Um, I probably had at least one to two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches per loop. I did try one of the vegan quesadillas that they had on the course. It wasn't very good. Um, I tried a little veggie broth out. It wasn't very good. I had some Coca-Cola. Um, that, you know, has always been my rocket fuel. So I'd have a cup of Coke when we got to an aid station. That was good. Um, and that was really, I had, um, a few goos at the end or not goos, but they were Huma gels, um, because I just wanted to get some calories in when the light came up and I was running with Michael it was the first time I got really tired. I had a very tired, I wasn't low emotionally, but I was low tired, I just felt like my eyes were half opening, and it's like I am so tired right now. But I got some calories in me. I did take some caffeine pills. Uh, I did have some Tylenol and uh, perked up, and that was that. Was that. So, uh, you know, all in all, I was ecstatic. And when I got back to the tent, uh, again, my wonderful crew was there. Let's put a blanket around you. Let's change your, get you into some... Um, you know, clean socks, uh, get your feet cleaned up. And of course, you know, my feet were okay. Uh, I actually put some toe socks on and sandals. I went to the car and my amazing crew cleaned up the whole mess and brought it into the car while I dozed uh, intermittently uh, in the car while they, they loaded everything up. So first and foremost, thank you, Linda and Lou Albert. Thank you, Tim Marie Hagenberger. And always thank you, Michael, saved my race. When we run, I always give him hell. He's running too fast. His cadence is not mine. He talks, you know, the stories that he tells. But, I mean, he was perfect. He, he was the perfect pacer. Um, he, he, he talked when he needed to. He did the math when he needed to. He was fueled. He, he was, you know, organized everybody under the tent as much as um, he thought he could. <laughs> yeah, we know, Linda. You did it. 
Um, but, um, you know, so everybody got along very well. Um, again, they were just fabulous. Lou was a trooper. Lou was coming off some major life-threatening injuries that he sustained over the holidays, but yet he was there throughout the whole thing, um, being organized, helping with, he's a true camper, getting everything set up and getting me loaded up and sent off and just Mr. Positive. Linda's hands were gnarly, dirty, dirty from my feet. Um, you know, she, she, I mean, just did an amazing job. Um, and Timarie, calm, cool, cool cucumber, just, you know, smiling all the way. She showed up with her new Brooks shoes that were completely trashed after it was gone. So, um, again, I appreciate everybody uh, dearly for that and uh, will always be grateful for all the things that they did for me uh, at the Long Haul 100. The last thing I want to talk about beforehand was the why. When I had my low spell um, at the beginning of lap four, the question I asked was, you know, what is, I've heard people talk about the why. Why are you actually doing this? And, you know, obviously I've always thought I'd do things to, you know, ultra running is a bit like a science experiment you know, how to do nutrition and fuel and heart rate and all those things. It's very interesting to me. Um, I thought I had a mental fortitude that, yeah, I would hit a low spot, but it wouldn't drag me down that far. Um, I, was, I was somewhat shocked at the point where I, I was having trouble, uh, you know, kind of coming out of it a little bit. Um, and, you know, the question is, why would, why would you want to put yourself in a place like that, in a deep, dark place? And a couple things came to mind. People in the ultra community talk about the pain cave. They go into the pain cave. And some people try to avoid going into the pain cave or avoid going to where the pain is. And some people actually embrace it and see how far they can go. Um, but everybody knows that they'll probably come out of it and there'll be bad spots and good spots, but nothing will last. Um, pain's here and there, but they'll, they'll move. Nothing lasts forever. Sound familiar? It sounds a lot like life. Um, things are thrown at us, bad things are bound to happen, but somehow we're going to come out on the other side, but it's really hard to see it at the moment that you're in that state of despair. And, and, and I think that this event, you know, it, it kind of, you put your, in a controlled environment, you experience um, a darkness that you're going to come out of that you have the support of everybody and it's okay to ask for help. Um, and you have your crew around you to help you navigate this darkness. And I think what that translates to in, in maybe in, in, in the real life, everyday life is, is probably sometimes we don't think we can ask for help or we don't think we have anybody to help us around and, and people are right there ready uh, sometimes we push people more away than um, what we think that they don't want to be around. And so I, I think that that was kind of an important lesson to know that, you know, it's actually kind of nice to have people around to help you. Um, not meaning that you have to depend on somebody to do everything for you, but the idea is that the team sport, that, that you know, um, Travis Macy said the other day, life is a team sport, and I couldn't agree more that life is a team sport and we should all play it as a team sport and it would probably be much better most of the time, even the darker times. I also experienced discomfort running, discomfort in my lower legs when I took a step, but it wasn't excruciating pain, it was just 
kind of continuous pain. So is that gnawing discomfort that you want to go away, but you know it's not going to necessarily go away or go away completely, and especially if you just keep focusing on it. So when you changed your, you know, you didn't think about it for a while, and you thought about the mud, your legs didn't really hurt that well. They kind of did in the mud because it made it worse. But it would, it would move around a little bit and not be continuous. But it was more the mental aspect of the discomfort that got to me than the pain itself. And so it, it kind of tells me that, you know, how we perceive pain and how we look at it often really dictates how we're going to deal with it. Um, you know, the more I dwelled on this hurts, I'm cold, it's awful, um, it certainly didn't make it any better. It wasn't until let's just see how it plays out um, and try to troubleshoot, take some calories in, run a little bit, let's warm up, make a few things better and see how things go. It it started to improve. So, you know, I think that aspect of thing is, um, you know, is something that I really learned. I was really happy with my nutrition. We had everything available to try different things. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have any regrets about anything that we did. Um, one of the funniest things today when I was getting ready to take the dogs for a walk, um, I was digging for my sweatshirt and found the hand warmers um, and body warmers that we never took out of the box. That would have felt good on that fourth loop. Um, I'm sure something else would have caused me to bonk, but that might have been nice. Um, but the, the hydration was good. My stomach stayed good. I was so thankful. Again, I'm going to say it over and over again because I'm so thankful my feet stayed good. So I think, you know, as far as where I am on my training and how things went, it was good. A uh, lot of work to do because you know what's next, Leadville 100. So now we got to take the 100 miles and we got to put it at an elevation of 12,000 feet and see how it goes up and down some technical hills. To prepare for that, we're going to go to a race in Georgia called the Cruel Jewel. How, what could go wrong? 56 miles uh, in the mountains of Georgia with um, thousands of feet of climbing and technical um, you know, trails. So that should help prepare for that. Uh, hope to be back out on the road. I'll be weights, be tire pulling, um, and, and learning more and more, uh, about what's, what's to come. Interestingly, I'm not that sore. Um, the biggest thing that happened to me when I took all that compression gear off, all of a sudden my ankle swelled. Um, so my ankles and feet were swollen for a couple days, uh, made my ankles really stiff and, you know, made me kind of unsteady to, I had a wall, I had a good wobble going, but my thighs, you know, they weren't sore at all, hardly. Um, so I, I did a walk today with the dogs. I could have, uh, the only reason why I didn't walk further was I, my ankles are still a little stiff, but I didn't feel real stable with the big three O, uh, shepherd. Um, but, um, otherwise I'm, I'm very happy. I, I didn't have much of an appetite. You'd think you'd be starving. Uh, if you run 800 to 80 to 100 calories a mile, that'd have been about eight to 10,000 calories that I burned. You know, like I said, I ate a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I ate a lot of Oreos, noodles, some potatoes, some mashed potatoes, um, the, the gnarly drink. Uh, so still in a calorie deficit. But when I finished, I had um, my, my, my GI tract. I just wasn't hungry. Um, had a kind of bad taste in my mouth for a couple days. I think just because you divert blood flow from your GI tract, everything kind of shut down there a little bit. Not, not to fear. Uh, I am recording this podcast on Wednesday and my appetite is back. Um, interestingly, my appetite came back for fruits and vegetables. 
Uh, it did not come back for Oreos. I, I have not had any desire for, for Oreos or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I think I will wait until we hit the Cruel Jewel for those again. I will not have a Coca-Cola until the Cruel Jewel. Um, so back to my fruits and vegetables. Happy to be back um, getting those uh, wonderful colors. And again, ever grateful for my crew, Michael Hubbard, Linda and Lou Albert, and Timory Hagenberger. Thank you so much. Uh, couldn't have done it without you. Wouldn't have wanted to do it without you. Thank you, Andy Croom Matthews, for hosting such a great race, even though you couldn't control the weather. Uh, very nice man. Yeah, you can go on his website um, and look at his races if you have any interest. Great guy. Uh, they did an awesome job. So thank you for listening uh, to this podcast. I hope you had some takeaways from um, my racing experience. And see you next week. And I promise I'll talk about nutrition. <laughs>